So you want to talk about my positioning? Um, I have, I'm riding the four horsemen of the economic apocalypse plus utilities right now. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder, Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with money manager, Michael Pinto. If you haven't yet watched part one of this discussion with Michael, in which he makes the case that the financial markets may shed 40% of their current value over the coming year, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Michael also shares the assets in his portfolio that he's relying on to successfully protect capital through the rough ride he sees ahead for the rest of this year. So be sure to stick around for that. All right, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Michael Pento. All right, last point on this rant is um, making sure we, we rail on everybody here. Um, so you talked about the huge increase we've seen in institutional ownership um, for the housing stock. Again, I think that's a moral and a societal negative um, in the sense that you do not want to, I, I don't like excessive regulation, but you do not want to be in a world where too great a percentage of your housing stock is controlled by corporate entities. And we seem to be just hurtling towards that path right now. And you talked about Blackstone, there are a few other players out there that are doing this. There's 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 two risks here I just want to quickly flag. One is that, as you were saying, Michael, if these guys get into trouble, well, then they can just dump a ton of inventory on the market all at once, right? And these guys oftentimes own lots of homes in the same concentrated area. So they can, they can conceivably just crater a market overnight by dumping all this inventory on there. That may or may not happen. We're going we're gonna to see soon. Um, we've already seen some dry runs of that, like with Zillow, where they were dumping thousands of properties, um, but they they sold it to another big institution. So they all didn't hit the market, you know, in the way that we're talking about here. Um, but there was a headline by Blackstone just a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was something like a 50 billion fund that they've socked away as a rainy day fund because they're seeing the same data that we are about the, the softening housing market. And they're saying, yeah, there's probably going to be a pretty serious correction we're going to put aside this massive war chest so that we can descend and just buy up all this inventory, you know, once the dust settles. And again, these bastards can way out compete with average, you know, folks trying to buy a home um, for a whole variety of reasons. One, they've got this massive war chest, but they can borrow at much, much lower rates than the average household can for mortgages, right? So it's such an unfair competition. And again, this is just not good for society if one day we wake up and we're just all renters to our, you know, corporate overlords. So it seems like you feel the same. Well, I, I, I feel like you just gave a campaign speech and you're not running for anything, are you? Because you got my vote. I, oh, I, I'm running I, for your vice president. Yeah. <laughs> Very witty. We talk about regulation. Of course, of course, Wall Street is full of, you know, slimy people. Like there's not a breaking news here. But who, what, in, what is encouraging them? It's their access to cheap credit. I mean, they had the cheapest credit ever. They can float money at the cheapest rate ever, thanks to the Federal Reserve. You want to start regulating somebody? Start regulating our central bank. That would be the first thing I would say to do. Because if you encourage them to borrow money close to zero, and they can lend it out much higher, that, that's exactly what they'll do. What they'll they'll do. borrow money, they'll buy all the houses they can possibly get their hands on, and then rent it out to people. And that's called net interest margin. That's called spread. That's what they do. 
But why was it that they could borrow money so cheaply? Because ever since basically 2008, money has been almost free for most of that duration with very few exceptions and for very short durations. So that's who I would start regulating. The federal All right. God, I want to keep pulling at that thread, but I got to begin to try to land the plane here. And we still haven't gotten to the meatiest part of the conversation, which is how are you, Michael Pento, positioning your portfolio given this super challenging future that you see coming? So um, there's two things. Before I talk about my portfolio, there's two points, key points I have to mention before I forget. First of all, let's talk about earnings. Yeah, you know you, Wall Street has a party every time somebody beats the number. Oh, well, you know, so-and-so beat the expectations and people are cheering and, and clapping. X energy, X energy, X, X energy, earnings are negative for Q2. I just want to get that point out there. FactSet compiles the numbers. It's negative 3.7% as of a couple of days ago. So if you take out energy, which is their earnings are up 200 and something percent, Wall Street has negative earnings right now. And the second point I want to mention, and, and this is part of my model, I have a 20 point model. The, the spread between the 10 year note and two year note is, is of particular interest to me. Not many people are talking about it. There's some who occasionally mention it, but that spread is now the most negative it's been in 40 years, 47 basis points negative. Most negative in 40 years. Now, if you could tell me that's a sign of a new bull market, Tom Keene, you know, I, I got some swamp land. So <laughs> all right. And sorry to chime in here, but but you're you're referring to the two 10-year spread, which is when it's negative, is what's called an inverted Inversion. yield curve, which has been you know one of the, the more dependable predictors we've had of a coming recession. You're saying that that inversion is the worst we've seen in many decades. Therefore, the recession coming is likely to be exceptionally bad. It's the worst since it's the worst since the eighty early eighties. Um, it's not only inverted; it's severely inverted, um, and that has always meant, almost always meant, that you're in a recession. So it's the it's the duration of the inversion, the steepness of the inversion. And both of those things are not looking good for the bulls on Wall Street. So you want to talk about my positioning? Um, I have, I'm riding the four horsemen of the economic apocalypse plus utilities right now. It's my only long to offset some of the gains that we've seen in July. It's a recent addition to my portfolio. It can be shed uh, very quickly, especially if we get an extra hot CPI print. I'm going to trade that. But the four horsemen are core staples in my portfolio. And just to reiterate, Cash is king, lots of cash, bonds, and I mean US Treasury bonds. The US dollar as a long position, not a short yet. It's going to be a massive short. I'm waiting for it. We've done very well with our long dollar position from March of 2021. We've been long the dollar um, and shorts, just out straight shorts in the stock market. So those are the four core positions that you have to own. And those are the four positions that if, if we're seeing peak inflation, and I believe we are, and we enter into a period of disinflation, then that bond allocation, which has not worked for us, has worked against us, will begin to work with us in conjunction with the rising returns from our short positions and our dollar positions 
and our huge cash hoard to produce positive returns during this upcoming, and I, I would say, you know, maybe the outer walls of the hurricane we're in now, but the, the strengthening eye wall is approaching. All right. Well, thank you for being so specific. Um, couple of clarification questions. Um, first off is shorts. Are you increasing the percentage of the portfolio dedicated to shorts now, given how pessimistic you are about the, the coming six months of the year? Or given that we've already corrected a bit, are you? I, I, I very know, well, yeah. I, I very well may be increasing those shorts, but not in front of the inflation print. Okay. You, you and are you, a, if, if we get a strong rally in response to a disinflationary print, so instead of 9.1, <clears throat> excuse me, inflation goes to 8% with month over month 0.2%, and Wall Street takes the, you know, the market for a ride higher on that, I'll jump all over that with, with additional shorts. Okay. <clears throat> and when you short, are you shorting um, ETFs and sectors, yeah. or are you shorting yeah. individual stocks? So in my portfolio, we have no options and no margin and no leverage. I go long ETFs, which appreciate in price when the market declines. And I shy away from inverse ETFs. So there's a select group of ETFs that I use that will go up when the market goes down, but they're straight shorts in their own type three margin account. I don't have any leverage marginal options in my <clears throat> All right. Sorry. Let me just ask that question one more time. So when you are shorting, are you, you're shorting short go, ETFs? Or, sorry, you're buying short long, ETFs? I go long ETFs that appreciate when the market goes down. They appreciate it. in price when the market goes down, meaning they these ETFs directly do the shorting for me. So I don't have to borrow money, go on margin, use leverage or anything like that. Right, got it. And I'm sorry. A lot sorry. of retirement. We have a lot of retirement customers in our portfolio. And what we like is very high sharp ratios. In other words, very small drawdowns in the portfolio. Now, if you're down 20% this year, you need 25% to break even. You're down 50%, you need 100% to break even. Right. Kathy Wood is Kathy Wood is in a, in a in a world of hurt. Okay, I we never want to have that. We don't use any kind of extensive risk, which means no option margin or loan. You never want to have to, you know, dig out of that hole. Hope on, on increasing three hundred percent just to get back to even. <laughs> All right. Um, so on the the treasury side, so I assume um, you are mostly holding long dated U.S. Treasuries uh, for that expected appreciation. I have both. I have short duration and long duration treasuries. Okay. And short duration, I'm, I'm sure, is to sort of anchor their portfolio, give you some predictable return in the near term. But the, the real appreciation you're looking for is going to come from the, the long duration side of that portfolio, right? That is correct in the short term. In the longer term, when the Fed begins to finally pivot and, and get that, you know, the, undergo that long, arduous uh, decline, de-escalation back to ZERP, which I think they will have to do. You imagine having that huge yield and the principal appreciation as those short duration treasuries really start to spin off some income for us and principal appreciation. Okay, great. And then um, this is something that a couple of folks I've talked about recently have said, and I'm just curious if you look at, at this with the same eyes, is a big part of their thesis for being parked in those long duration treasuries is as that economic hurricane hits um, capital around the world Right, yeah, you know, your, your capital in the U.S. is going to seek safety in these long-dated U.S. Treasuries, but but all that global capital 
all the international markets are probably going to be in the same pain and probably worse. And so that's all going to flood into the treasury, long-dated treasuries, just as a safe haven. And so that's going to force, no matter what else is going on with, with yields in the overall bond market, that's going to force down the yield on U.S. treasuries because there's going to be so much buying demand and that should you know, bring the price a lot higher. Is that a big part of your thesis? So um, I, did, I did some rigorous back testing when I designed my IDEC, Inflation Deflation Economic Cycle Portfolio. What, what always wins out in bear markets that are global in nature is the US dollar and US sovereign debt. And it's basically the same reason, the same inane reason why you see the Japanese yen rally. It's like, what the why you know Japanese yen is that a is that a symbol of safety you know yeah. <laughs> Japanese yen no what you're seeing is just the reversal of a carry trade so there's a, a, a tremendous amount of dollar denominated debt that exists outside the United States so they borrow dollars and they they invest in other high higher yielding currencies and supposedly better investments that are outside the United States when when you have a global contraction what do people have to do they have to you know sell their local currencies and close out that dollar borrowing trade, that, that close out that short. So they have to buy dollars. That's a big part of what you see in also the yen. People borrow yen, very cheap prices, invest around the world, mostly institutions. And when things go bad, they have to sell those positions, you know, say like, you know, they're in a, in a Chilean, uh, you know, lithium producer, or whatever, whatever, whatever debt that they hold, close out those positions, buy back the yen, shirt closes the yen to surge. It's the same construct with the dollar. And also, you also see a flight to safety. We are still the world's reserve currency, although rapidly disabusing ourselves of that privilege. Um, but it's still the case right now. And people seek safety in US treasuries. For now, that will change, but that's not yet the case. Okay, great. And for mm -hmm. folks that want to understand even more the dynamics of, of those dollar flows from outside the US to inside the US, uh, that whole market's called the euro dollar market, even though it's it's not just related to Europe. It's it's the entire ex-US world as it relates to dollars. I uh, did a very recent interview with um, Brent Johnson, founder of the dollar milkshake theory. We go into that in depth. I'll put up a link to it right here. You can watch that after if you want to. Um, all right, Michael, um, last question. Or no, not last question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> two more questions uh, clarifying your, your holdings here. For folks that didn't watch our last video from months back when you were on, um, the, how are you positioning within that U.S. dollar long part of your portfolio? Like, what are you actually purchasing to be long the U.S. dollar? The UUP. Okay, UUP. It's so that's an, ET, an ETF. It's an ETF that's mostly a short against the euro, which is, by the way, if you look at what's happening with the Gazprom in Russia, I mean, they're they're going to be in a they're also going to be in a very steep recession. Uh, they could have their unfortunately their gas cut off completely for periods of time this winter. Um, and uh, I don't believe Madame Lagarde is going to be able to get anywhere near three percent on their uh, their equivalent of the overnight lending. So uh, yeah, uh, they're in a world of hurt, and uh, the dollar will continue to appreciate until we have a genuine pivot from Powell, not Wall Street's fantasy of, of pivoting from 75 basis points to, to 50. I mean, going from raising interest rates to cutting interest rates. That's not for some time yet. Right, right. And also at that time, who knows what the ECB is deciding to do in, in response to. So not necessarily a guarantee that uh, the euro is going to strengthen at some point. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 
All right. And then last, you you talked about you've got your four horsemen um, and then you've got utilities tacked yeah. on right now. Can you just explain why you've got the, the additional utility play here? Uh, I wanted to offset some of the move that we saw in July uh, on the margin. It's a very small position. It's 3% of our, our capital. So it's a very small position. Um, including in that utility is next era energy, which I'm, you know, I'm not recommending this for anybody. I'm saying as a company that will benefit greatly from this watered down build back better bill, um, which now the inflation reduction act from Joe Biden, um, there's a lot of money heading into the clean energy space. So, uh, that is also a beneficiary of falling interest rates too. So there's a lot of reasons why I own a small position in utilities, but that can be increased or decreased depending on what happens in the immediate future. However, those four horsemen are the only things, because everything goes through a correlation of one when the poop hits the fan. Yep. <laughs> those four horsemen are the only things that you want to own when things get really ugly. And I think they're going to get really ugly at the latest, late September into uh, the end of this year. Okay, one thing I did not hear you talk about yet, um, you did mention it very briefly when we were chatting before we turned on the recorder here, um, is gold. Um, mm. So what are your current thoughts about gold? Because some might say, hey, looking at a big crisis like this, that's when it's a good time to own precious metals. So I had I had a lot of gold uh, about seven months ago. Uh, we were 20% gold. I sold it down to 5% position, just physical gold. All miners have been gone. Thank God I did because it's been a bloodbath. Um, I'm going to wait, especially when it comes to the miners. I'm going to wait until I see a genuine and what until my model forecasts that a genuine pivot from Powell will arrive. A genuine pivot, right? Like I said, that that means a, a lowering of interest rates and some form of QE, because I want to see that dollar start to weaken significantly before I go into gold. Uh, go further into gold. Gold does really, really poorly in the eye wall of a hurricane, an economic hurricane. Just because it's it's something that everybody can sell, it's it's extremely liquid, and anybody seeking liquidity, dollars, will sell what they can. Right. Okay. So uh, that's that's one reason why it's, it's just 5% of the portfolio right now. 5% physical gold. But I am looking forward to the other end of this. Uh, the other end of this hurricane which is most likely some, some form of protracted and intense stagflation, which is gonna be falling real interest rates. And I wanna be all over gold and the miners when that, when that comes, because the returns will, should be uh, astronomical, should be. I promise, should be. Okay, uh, and, and uh, God, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I wish we had another hour here. I'm going to have to start wrapping things up. But um, so I, I'm going to apologize in advance for only giving you a few minutes to explain this last point. Um, but so you've said, okay, uh, if I've got this correct, uh, back half of this year, back half of 2022, disinflation, right? We, we're CPI likely peaking about now. We'll find out tomorrow whether July was or June was higher than July. Um, but you 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 project that CPI is going to come down over the rest of the year, maybe not at a screaming rate, but it's going to be heading down. Um, then we're going to feel the, the the full brunt force of this economic hurricane we're talking about. We're going to go perhaps into um, 
I mean, I, I want to use the word deflation, though. Do I expect us to actually technically go negative on the CPI? Probably not, but maybe. Um, when I say deflation, I meant deflation in asset prices, rapid deflation in equity prices and in real estate prices. Okay. So, you know, lower CPI than we are right now, but the asset price trapdoor opens up and you know, we, we get the real waterfall in asset prices. Um, so that, and, and we're prog prognosticating here. I'll have you back on beforehand, Michael, to give us audible changes. Um, but that's likely-ish around the end of the year, beginning of next year. Um, at some point from there, the, the Fed will ramp up and, and try to rescue things. I believe that's the start of the stagflationary era that you're talking about. Um, is that true? And if so, is that going to be the, the point at which you start positioning you know, into new types of, you get out of the horsemen and you get into other types of, of assets to take advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, but, but bear in mind that my transitioning from the four horses to uh, the economic apocalypse to, to something that looks more like stagflation is going to be not trenchant and won't be binary. So it's not gonna be, oh, let's, you know, it's, it's Friday, let's, let's switch over. As a reminder, as I'm sure you remember, so the Fed started cutting rates in January of 2001. Uh, the market didn't bottom until the fall of 22, uh, and it was a 40% decline. The Fed started cutting rates in the summer, uh, late, late summer, early fall of 2007. Market didn't bottom until March of 2009, and that was a 50% plus decline. So let's be careful about saying, you know, this is what I, it's just so funny. The Powell pivoted, and that's all I need to know. A Powell right. pivoted. You know, These that's aren't not, light switch it, moments. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a light switch. It's not binary. You're going to slowly transition out of your hedges into something that looks more, uh, you know, energy, base metal, short the dollar, complete opposite, but you want to do it in, in the best timing that you could possibly do. And that, again, isn't, isn't a, a light switch. It's not binary. You know, so that way. It's okay. To understand that that amelioration of a bear market is not something that a Federal Reserve can do automatically just by lowering interest rates. When they start lowering interest rates, is really the time to maybe even increase shorts. In some instances, that's that you know the 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 the, the most the steepest part of the toboggan ride down in the global financial crisis started in August. Of 2008, I mean, the Fed started cutting, you know, a year before that. That's a great point. And we had many bear market bounces where people were saying, "Oh, you know, uh, bear market's over." Yeah, no. So it's something you have to you have to have a lot of knowledge, a very robust model, and be here every day and looking at things like that yield curve and the high yield spreads and LIBOR spreads and OIS spreads and all kinds of arcane stuff that I look at every single day, bank net banks that are tightening lending standards, all that stuff will lead me to know as well as many market indicators will let me know when the storm has passed. Storm is just from everything I can tell you and I have no other obligation, Adam, than to make my clients money. I have nothing to sell other than performance. Everything I look at says, this is something, only a bear market bounce and something you have to be very worried about if you're trying to go long, this bounce, because the most pernicious part of the bear market is still right ahead. All right, and, and you're really underscoring the value of working with a, a professional financial advisor 
who has the experience, the awareness of, of what's going on at the macro sense, but also has the experience to draw from and say, look, you know, we've seen this happen multiple times in history, and these are where all the probability lies, right? And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, after we say goodbye to you on this program, Michael, like we normally do, we'll, we'll have some of our endorsed financial advisors come in just to talk about what the market's done in the past week since last week's interview. Um, my assumption here is you're going you're, you're gonna to make a bit of a you know, they should be sending you a fruit basket here based on what I think your answer to this next question is going to be, which is um, we have had this era where passive investing has has paid off just fine, right? And if you just, you know, relied on the Fed put and you just, you know, threw a dart and, and stayed true to whatever, you know, buying whatever the dart hit and you just bought on any dips and you had faith that the market was going to take care of you, you did great and you didn't have to really put too much thought into things. It feels like we have crossed the Rubicon into a completely different paradigm and active management is really going to be the key to success here to navigating capital to a successful destination through this, the rocky waters of this, this economic storm that we're talking about here. I hope I haven't killed the metaphor too much here, um, but I'm putting words in your mouth. I know you're an active manager, so I'm speaking to your interests here, but I, I believe this. Do, do you agree with that? It's, it's always been true. Um, that you should have active management, but it's becoming more and more true by the day. Because you know, I have, I have five sectors in my portfolio. They range from deflation and recession, depression, all the way to intractable inflation, stagflation. There's five sectors in that in that that portfolio, that palette that I use of what investments you want to own, given what macroeconomic condition are we on? Are we in? Are we in stasis? Are we in disinflation? Are we in deflation? Are we in rising inflation? Or are we in tractable or stagflation? And every single bucket, all those five buckets, require a different investment strategy. Um, so what asset classes, style factors, and sectors you want to own is all dependent on that macroeconomic second derivative. And that's exactly why you would come to someone like me. I'm sure your other investors have their own way of doing things. Um, but just to blindly be able to buy a balanced portfolio has not served you well this year at all. And it's going to get a lot worse. You're going to have some offset now. Hopefully you will have an offset to your equity implosion with the bond exposure. But I have a feeling a lot of people sold bonds just to get more long equities, especially since the yields have been so low for so long. So uh, I don't know how many people are in that 60-40 portfolio. Maybe that portfolio looks more like 70-30 or 80-20. I, I don't know. I have, a, I have a suspicion that's the case. But even that 30 or even if it's 40% of bond portfolio has to be sovereign debt, and it will not offset the decline that you're going to see from your equity exposure. And when this whole thing turns around, you just can't own a 60-40 portfolio again because if you're owning utilities, or bonds or bond proxies, you're gonna get murdered in stagflation. So to get the best return and the safest return in any macroeconomic environment, you have to have a robust inflation, deflation, economic cycle strategy. That's my opinion. And again, I, I know tangentially Lance Roberts and he's a wonderful human being and I'm sure he has a great strategy. Um, so I don't know the other gentleman, but I know anybody associated with you, Adam, is par excellence and uh, you know you, you need to have one of those active managers on your team 
Uh, you're very kind, uh, and you are a class act in terms of uh, just sort of how you are so giving of your expertise to the word, uh, world, Michael, but also your uh, just laser-focused commitment to taking care of your own clients. So uh, let, let's start to close by saying for people that have really enjoyed uh, this interview with you, I know our veterans probably, you know, this is a big fat red stake to toss them, um, but a lot of new viewers, this might be their first time viewing you. Um, and maybe thinking, hey, that Michael would be a, potentially a great guy to talk to about managing my money. Um, where can people go to follow you in your work? And if they just want to reach out and have a conversation about money management, where should they go? So it's pentoport.com. That's the website. My email address is mpento at pentoport.com. You can call the office at 732-772-9500. You can go to the website and sign up for the midweek reality check. It's $50 a year. Um, and you get all my insights, my macro view from high up. Um, and if you have around $100,000 to invest and you are a US citizen, give us a call. I promise we won't bite. We'll try to help you as best we can. And um, you uh, can leave at any time if you join. This is not like a hedge fund where you get locked up forever. As like I said, it's the antithesis of Wall Street. It's everything I hate about <laughs> Wall Street. You'll see the opposite of what you get here. Great customer service, hands-on management, and uh, always as a fiduciary, your best interest at heart. All right, great, Michael. And as we normally do when we edit this, we will put up links to your website, your phone number, your your email address, which I always commend your courage for being willing to put that up there because I know you get just deluged by okay. uh, by like emails from interested folks afterwards. Um, all right, Michael. Well, look, um, as we wrap this up, uh, I'd like to give you just the last word. If there's anything else that we haven't talked about yet that you think is germane to the average prudent investor who's just trying to navigate these rocky markets, just trying to protect the wealth that they've worked so hard to create here. And they mostly, you know, they'd love to grow it, uh, but they mostly just don't want to get shipwrecked during this economic hurricane that's coming up. Is there any parting advice you have for them? Yeah. Uh, if you're watching CNBS, make sure you have it on mute. And <laughs> what you really should do is tune into Wealthy on on a regular basis because you're not uh, going to get any better analysis than you get here. Silver tongue charmer. All right. Thanks so much, Michael. It's been just such a pleasure as it always is. I look forward to having you back on sooner uh, in the future so that we a don't go so much between your appearances here, but also I get the sense that things are really going to start speeding up here in terms of the developments on the ground. And I'd love to have you here calling audibles for us. Anytime, Adam. Thank you for having me back. All right. Well, now is the time in the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthy on to react to what Michael just said, as well as talking about what the markets are doing this week. I'm joined as usual by John Lodra and Mike Preston. Uh, John, why don't we start with you, since um, uh, you sent me over a chart, which maybe we'll talk about in a minute or two. But first, um, what's your general reaction to a pretty phenomenal, yet again, uh, discussion that we just had with Michael here? Yeah, I, I think I speak for for Mike, both Mike and I. We we really like Michael. We 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 follow his work. We love his style. You know, he's pretty pretty straight to the point. There's there's no need to dance around these things. I mean, especially when you're driven like he is and we are, and, and data and and perspective of that data against the the the, the bigger picture. Um, you know, irrespective of the um, the daily market noise and economic noise. Uh, we, we really like the style. And, and really the bottom line is, is his outlook and, and his positioning in investment accounts for his clients is, is, is not too dissimilar to ours. We, we, we very much 
agree with a lot a lot of what Michael said, and and not, not just because he said it, but the data supports. Um, you know, I think the the conclusions he's he comes to, and we come to, and, and many other folks that we we respect for their rigor. Yeah, and you know when he went through his allocation, and we'll maybe talk more about that in a second. Um, there are a lot of similarities with how you guys have been positioned, and when he talked about his performance for the year, which um, when I interviewed him said he was down about a percent, um, it's essentially flat. Um, he probably is flat today because it sounds like the bond part of his portfolio uh, was dragging him down, and, and it looks like at least some bond yields fell today uh, on the news about the inflation, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But anyways, as we've as you guys have been updating us from a week to week basis, it sounds like you guys are still relatively fat for the year, maybe even a little positive. Feel free to correct me if that's true. Um, but that's been a phenomenal outperformance this year versus the general markets. Now, your your gap between how the markets are performing is shrinking here as the markets begin to continue to recover. I think the S&P is still down like double digits for the year. So, um, you know, kudos to him and to you guys for, um, you know, not taking your uh clients on this roller coaster ride, you know, as, as the, the markets fell earlier this year, and, and who knows what's going to happen from here. Um, Mike, why don't I let you just piggyback on anything else you want to say to what John said, and then maybe we'll talk about today's big news of the, the July CPI number. Yeah, that, that was a great talk. It was, it was a very in-depth, tons of, tons of content there. And uh, I think this video went a little longer than most because it was just so much to talk about because Michael oh, yeah, just I, I has such a depth of knowledge. Hours with him. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And I mean, once again, I've got two pages of notes here. I'll try to keep my comment relatively short. You're right. The S&P is down double digits still, Adam, about 12.7% uh, right now as of, uh, I guess it's the 10th of August. The Dow, uh, the Dow Jones is about 10% down and the NASDAQ's closer to 20. So we've seen this really, really big bear market rally here. And, and most a lot of people I talk to, a lot of people in the news, and certainly the media is saying that this is everything is back to normal. Meme stocks are taking off again. Just take a look at you know, GameStop or AMC. So cer certainly the speculative fever is back. VIX is dropping. I think it flirted with going below 20 today. If maybe it actually closed there, I don't know. This is just a bear market rally. We can't guarantee it. We can't be certain, but almost almost certain that it is likely a bear market rally. And you know, Michael talked there about the inverted yield curve, that the duration uh, and the slope of the yield curve is more extreme really than in most other times in history. Uh, a Fed that isn't really pivoting, even though everyone thinks the Fed's pivoting, they're not really pivoting. You know, they're, 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 they're hiking 75 basis points. And then he said maybe 50, then maybe 25. They are almost certainly going to deepen the recession. We, we agree with what he says in terms of disinflation for the rest of this year. We're going to have a, a lessening in the pace of uh, inflation, but it's going to be persistent. So I like the message that he says, kind of like in the heart of the video, though, where he says, look, um, the Fed needs to be regulated. Ultimately, this is all about the Fed and every other central bank around the world follows the Fed. They've been punishing savers for so long, and here we are again. You were talking, Adam, about your local bank offering 0.05% on money markets. Brokerage accounts aren't much better, yet you're getting charged 15%, 14% for credit cards, and 5 6% for mortgages, and consumer loans are up there, too, in the high single digits. And so, you know, he, he says that 
frankly, it's the central bank that is at fault here. And in response to that, he manages money much like we do, very, very safely in cash, bonds, US dollar long, and then short some equities to either offset other long positions that he has, or, or maybe he has outright shorts, I'm not sure. But it, it's very similar to how we look at things. And um, we're really protecting against what we think is a bigger drop. He says he can see the S&P going to 3,200 by the end of the year. Absolutely. I think you could get there a lot quicker. Um, and then, of course, we'll have the chance to be tactical and add other long positions. So I'll pause there for a bit. All right, great. Well, so you raised a couple of great points, and I do want to get to today's news about the CPI. But but real quick, um, you know, <laughs> you, you talked about the, the Fed likely not pivoting anytime soon and uh, rates continuing to rise. And of course, I talked a lot about that with Michael. Um, and, and what's so interesting is <clears throat> right now the markets have been rallying over the past couple of weeks, um, and they're having a pretty big update today, too, because of uh the positivity the market is interpreting the recent cpi data with um and so what's so interesting is uh you know the, the market is is acting like the fed is going to have to pivot really soon right like or pivot really soon or or at least not have to to be as aggressive in their rate hikes right where they're saying okay so so anyways let's let the cat out of the bag in uh, july inflation came out today at 8.5% um, June was at a high of 9.1 for the series. So, um, Mike, you talked about disinflation for the rest of the year. One data point does not make a trend, but but this could be the start of disinflation, right? With the the rate of increase of the CPI year over year dropping from 9.1 to 8.5, and we'll see what happens as the year progresses from here. Um, so, the market is sort of interpreting that as as hey, Fed's getting on top of inflation. That number is probably going to keep coming down. And the Fed may not have to do all those rate hikes it's been planning and that we've been pricing in. So, uh, hey, let's let's take down our rate height, rate height expectations and let's take up asset prices um, in return. And, you know, I think what Michael and I were talking about is, well, you know, first off, 8.5% is still pretty darn hot inflation, right? So the Fed still has very much an inflation problem. The further the market continues to rally, the less worried the Fed is about creating a market crash by tightening. So it's actually the rally is giving the Fed more runway to raise hikes, sorry, to hike rates further for longer. Same thing with that that jobs report that came out last week um, uh, or a couple of days ago that, uh, yeah, last week that, um, you know, we talked a lot about how we just really couldn't understand how it was as rosy as it was. And I think there's a whole bunch of issues with it. I actually think it's largely kind of misinformation but it that you know extremely rosy jobs report gives the fed additional air cover to hike rates higher for longer because the second mandate obviously is is keeping unemployment low and unemployment's near a record low here so what's so interesting to me is is the you could look at this and say man the market should be interpreting this as the fed is going to be more aggressive with rate hikes and therefore they should become more nervous about where asset prices are headed headed but right now they're not. They, they they don't seem to care, and they're they're just acting like this is party on news. So John, let's go to you here because um, I know you also have a chart about the CPI here. Um, what do you think about this? You know, somebody is wrong here. Um, do you think it's the markets, uh, or or do you think it's those that are you know expecting the Fed to continue its rate hike program from here? Yeah, it's really incredulous how uh, 
a little one day data point is is greeted with such uh, exuberance as as we saw today you know the headline inflation inflation came in a bit lower nine eight, eight and a half uh, uh versus the 9.1 for for june um still eight and a half it's a huge inflation problem right and uh, the chart that i shared with you and if you have that up on the screen you know basically uh it looks at uh, scenarios of of for the balance of the year. What if the headline? What if the um, you know headline inflation on a month over month basis uh, were to map out at different rates of 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 increase? Even if we assume it flatlines for the balance of the year, meaning that the month month over month inflation headline inflation just stays at zero, that still translates to an annualized rate of six point three percent, a very far cry from the Fed's long held. Uh, 2% inflation target, which it was extreme when they were saying, you know what, we've met our target 2%, but we're going we're to let things go a little hot, meaning a little higher than 2%. Here we are, even if inflation flatlined at 0%, we'd still be on track for an annualized rate of 63 Hardly uh, 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 an inflation problem solved in that scenario. And, and there's a lot of noise in, in the inflation report. I mean, things like, um, you know, some of the, the headline things that, that were off that drove a lot of the, the, the surprise to the downside were, were things like used car prices, hotel prices, airfare prices, but really important things like shelter prices and general services were, were actually stronger. So you have to read a lot of nuance into the report to really uh, discern whether that's good news or just kind of a blip of, of inconsequential uh, noise. Um, and, you know, the real, I think, interesting thing here, and Michael made this point, I've seen other, other people make it, um, the, the effect of the modest rate increases thus far, you know, my, Michael posits that we might be at a 3.3 federal, federal funds target rate by the end of the year. Um, the, the impacts of, of those modest increases to date really haven't hit yet. You know, it's a lagged impact. So, here we are, people talking about pivoting when we really haven't even seen any efficacy of their their rate in increases and, and modest balance sheet uh, uh, reductions. Um, in other words, nothing's broken. Nothing is moderated. We're, we're barely off the all-time record highs valuations, which still, even at the lows of, of June, we're still amongst the most overvalued markets of all time. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's a circus show, really. I think the 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 reaction of the market to to one one month uh, inflation number that comes in a slightly better than expected, but still pretty horrible on its on its own face. So let's bring this down to brass tacks for you, know, you guys as capital managers here. So um, markets were down hard earlier this year. You guys were sitting in cash you know, sort of waiting out the storm or, or heavy in cash, waiting out the storm to see if valuations would go lower and maybe eventually get into attractive levels. Um, but the market's been been bouncing. It's now recovered, I think, more than 50% uh, of its losses so far for the year. Um, and then it's, it's having this sort of party on day that we're talking about in response to the CPI data. Um, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but is is this a uh, you know, a, a rally you distrust, uh, you, would you continue to be sort of advising the people to use these higher prices to sell out of your long positions that you were uncomfortable in just a few weeks back, uh, get to cash and, you know, you know, sort of expecting this to be sort of the, 
the hallmark bear market rally that you know makes everybody feel euphoric, gets all the sideline money back in before it uh, takes its claws back out and starts mauling people. Joe, I want to let you finish there, and then Mike, we'll go to you. Yeah, in, in a word, we we do think that this is likely a bear market rally that is in very late stages of of advance. Doesn't mean uh, it can't go higher. Doesn't mean that this is not a bear market rally. But uh, but all the evidence, all the typical science, point to that likely being the case. Um, and I, I love the way that Michael Pento put it in his words, and we share the same thing. Um, you know, firstly, um, you know, there's a contradiction between investing and, and playing a, you know, multi-day, maybe multi-week move in markets, right? That, that By definition, that's more of a, a shorter-term speculative move if, if that's the kind of time frame that one is looking to, to play in. Doesn't mean it can't and shouldn't be done sometimes. In fact, we, we have uh, on occasion you know, purposefully put short-term tactical trades on increasing equity exposure, oftentimes with hedges, even though we have strong conviction that much significant lower lows are ahead. Um, so we try to thread that needle for sure, but it's all circumstantial. And Michael Pento put it, you know, in his words, he said, look, I, I'd rather be, you know, down the 1%, you know, we're down for clients this year and sit out, um, you know, a, a, a potential, you know, modest move higher in a bear market rally that ultimately will likely fail and 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 push to the downside. He again, he used um, thirty one hundred as uh, on the S and P, which is about I think a twenty five percent or so decline from current levels uh, as as his minimum target for downside. But he thinks probably more likely closer to forty percent down further from where we are today by later this year, spring of twenty twenty three, and that just brings the uh, market cap to GDP ratio back to you know, uh, 100 uh, percent um, versus its its extreme valuations um, that we've seen. So yeah, our simple simple word. We we uh, we don't think uh, longer term investors should be um, you know falling over themselves to to dramatically try to play this this bounce if at all. It's late in the stages. We think it's already happened in large part. Um, and certainly for folks who are heavily exposed to stock markets right now, whether you know they're um, folks that we haven't talked to or uh, you know folks listening here and, and don't use a financial advisor, we, we would encourage them to use this strength as a really what we think is going to be an ex excellent opportunity to scale back risk and, and play some defense here. Kind of a gift rally in, in, a, in a sense. Yeah, and, and just to remind people, because we're humans, we tend to forget quite quickly. Um, but just a month ago, <laughs> You know, there are a lot of people who are, you know, making those bargains with God of just please just just let the stock recover, you know, but it's lost so far and I promise I'll get out. Um, you know, please, Lord, just give me that opportunity. Well, you're kind of getting that opportunity now to a certain extent. So uh, it's a good time to honor those those uh, those prayers, uh, those packs you might have made with with God of your choice. Um, all right, Mike, heading over to you. Um, one other thing that. Uh, that Michael mentioned uh, that John just talked about was mm. that he he sees the full force of this sort of economic hurricane, if you will, um, hitting around end of the year time. And um, <clears throat> I was talking with Stephanie Pomboy this morning, and she was you know making sure that she reminded us all that Fed policy, you know, generally operates on a lag. You know, the Fed pulls a lever, and we don't really see the results of that happen, you know, for another nine-ish months or so out in the real economy. So the, the Fed has been busy applying the brakes with these rate hikes, right? But we're not going to really see 
their impact in the economy, at least not not at, at full levels, you know, until about nine months after the Fed started this program, which again is going to be coincident with around the end of this year. So we could very well be seeing, you know, kind of two big shoes dropping at the same time. One is just the the full force of an economic slowdown uh, created by organic forces. And that's then going to be exacerbated by the impact of, of all the Fed rate hikes, you know, starting several months ago and then going through likely the end of this year. So um, if, if you agree with that outlook, you know, are, are you guys still very much in the sort of like, hey, we're going to stay heavy cash, we're going to stay super defensive, we're going to kind of stay with a lot of the same positions that, that Michael labeled there in his four horsemen? Yeah, we will likely stay with the same positions and uh, for, for quite a while going forward until that data changes. And it is super difficult. Honestly, it really is. It goes against uh, the grain of most of what one's psychological makeup will want them to do, you know, when when markets are, are relentlessly going in one direction. And certainly when the psychology um, all around you is positive and even exuberant. But we agree with Michael that we will likely see an economic and earnings recession certainly as we go into the end of this year, it's probably already here, but he says it's, you know, it's going to impact bonds, real estate, stocks, everything. And, and GDP, which I think is words where he's being generous saying that there's zero in the last quarter, probably slightly negative, but we've, we've seen a couple quarters now of zero to slightly negative GDP gross domestic product. That's the technical definition of a recession, but we're kind of flirting around the flat line. Those things, when they happen, when we see bonds and real estate uh, and stocks get hit, uh, we don't know about bonds, but certainly real estate and stocks should get hit. We'll see about bonds, but um, it will it will affect GDP. It will impact that. And what John just said a minute ago is that Michael was expecting maybe a 40% decline plus in the S&P, which would bring us down to a market cap to GDP ratio of 100% from its high of 250%, and presently around closer to 200%. A previous definition of a bubble, according to Warren Buffett in past decades, was a market cap to GDP greater than 100. So if we start to see the most overvalued stock market of all time, as judged by a lot of different metrics, in a situation where the GDP starts to decline too, we could go right to 3,000 or 3,200 on the S&P. But if then... GDP declines and, you know, along with earnings and everything else, you know, the, the, it can change a lot. You can have a rapidly falling market at the same time that earnings are collapsing. And yet the valuation metrics don't look much more extreme. So you could go to 3,200 on the S&P and then fall 50% again to 1,600 easily. And so, and I don't even know that we could say that would be a severely undervalued market. It probably would be a normal valued market at that point. So long answer to say, yes, we're going to continue with our very conservative positioning. Again, it's very hard for individuals to do. It's hard for professionals to do, particularly in a market that immediately comes back over and over. We might get a chance to get one little trade off, but we can't overcommit because any one of these declines could waterfall and accelerate into a crash to the downside. So that's why we think it's so important to continue to be cautious and we will and we'll do just that. All right. Yeah. And, you know, we've used this metaphor a fair amount of times, but what I hear you saying there, Mike, is, is 
given the risk level in the market, given the upside level, you know, this is sort of like a grabbing nickels in front of a steamroller moment for those folks that are stretching long here. And just the the cost of the downside is so much higher than the the potential upside right here, it seems that you know, you're much better off just not stepping in front of that steamroller at all and then being in a good position to move if indeed prices come down from here and offer better valuations. Um, I also wanna, uh, well, first off, I wanna thank you guys for coming on uh, on Monday. We had our monthly uh, live money Q&A uh, with you guys, our advisors, as well as Lance Roberts uh, from, from our Real Investment Advisors. Uh, getting lots of great feedback from that. And folks, if you haven't uh, watched that or aren't, aren't aware of that series, um, we do this now once a month where we get John, Mike, and Lance Roberts. And we just you know take a little over an hour and just field whatever questions come in from you, the wealthy on audience. So whatever's most on your mind, you get to pick the brains of, of our endorsed financial advisors. Um, in there, I asked uh, Lance a question about real estate that I, I sort of want to ask you guys too. Because uh, for most people, you know, the the temper it's eighty nine percent of stocks are owned by the top ten percent of U.S. households. So we're so focused on the stock market here, uh, and it's important to a lot of our viewers here. But in terms of sort of the national attitude towards wealth, um, housing prices matter a lot more than stock prices because sixty plus, you know, basically two thirds of, of households own their own homes. Right. Um, so if they get a, and for many people, that's their largest asset. So if if the price of their home drops, they see a big drop in net worth. Where again, not everybody has as much exposure to the stock market. Um, so guys, I, I just saw a quote today from Robert Schiller uh, from Yale. And those that aren't familiar with Robert, he is basically the godfather of housing market analysis. And uh, he was uh, he came up with the Case Schiller Housing Ratio Index. Um, he was basically the expert for just kind of the hardcore data on what was going on uh, during the housing market crash of 2000, you know, started in 2007. Uh, so anyways, he's continued that analysis. And today he said the following, quote, home prices haven't fallen since the 2009, sorry, 2007 through 2009 recession. Right now, things look almost as bad. Existing home sales are down, permits are down. A lot of signs that we'll see something. It may not be catastrophic, but it's time to consider that. Uh, and guys, in my book, when uh, when Robert Schiller is comparing today's housing market environment to the 2007 bust, we better be paying attention to listening to that. So, um, John, maybe I'll come to you, and then Mike, you can clean up. But uh, you know, there's potential here. This is one of the things that makes me feel really uncomfortable. There's sort of three things I worry about. People taking losses in their financial portfolios, people experiencing a material, uh, you know, fall in the value of their their houses at the same time, and then third, people potentially losing their jobs, right? And given the type of market environment we see us going into, where economic growth is is has contracted for the first half of this year and looks like it might be slowing further. And we're talking about all the instability of this bear market that we think we're still in. Um, the potential for all three of those things is growing going forward. So uh, I'm just curious, do you have any advice to offer uh, to people? Because I know that you're talking to clients every day, John, you know, that are trying to kind of juggle these three assets, their their portfolio, their home and their income from their job. Yeah, it's it's a great question. And yeah, for most people, the, their house is their primary source of um 
asset. Um, it is a kind of a philosophical debate that I think is is worth having, and 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 Lance touched upon it in the Q and A the other day. To think about a house as an asset, um, you know, anybody that owns a house knows there's a lot of liabilities that come with that house, uh, even beyond mortgage debt that that many folks might have uh, on that uh, on that asset. Um, the the truth of the matter, or you know, truth what's truth today, right? But our opinion is that. Um, the housing market and the valuations of houses, uh, broadly speaking, across the country, let's call it, and certainly in some local markets, has been artificially levitated. We've we had, you know, all markets, all asset markets operate kind of according to the law of supply and demand. And what happened over the last decade with cheap money and low interest rates and you know ample credit available um, created a huge buying demand that. Uh, whether it was for primary houses or secondary houses, vacation homes, rentals, uh, institutional buying of houses by the likes of Blackstone Group, all fueled by very, very cheap, artificially cheap credit and money. And that's all well and good as long as the asset prices continue to rise. But when things start to falter from the structural supply and demand, like we taught you just referenced there, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, record number of houses coming on the market. Um, we've seen increases in the amount of deals that have been canceled uh, and, and people have walked away from, even though they've got to eat their deposit. These are all signs that the demand pressure, uh, combine that with um, falling confidence if, if folks' financial assets are declining, their job security is, is faltering. The, the tricky thing about houses and job security is that they're, they're very um, intertwined. You know, houses anchor people. Sometimes job markets require people to be, be fluid and move to find work where they otherwise can't find it. These are these are uh, double-edged swords here and, and actually exacerbate the problem. So yeah, we think um, I guess the advice for folks would be you know certainly as relates to their primary residence, uh, start to you know try not to think of it as an asset in the sense of hey, I can't wait to sell this someday down the road for a much higher price than I bought it. Uh, I guarantee you that my parents and their generation never thought of houses in that way. It was a place to live and, and it was just a creation of this credit bubble that gave this concept of stratospheric, you know, always rising uh, house prices. We think that's artificial and not likely to be, I think Robert Schiller's uh, warning there is probably pretty well well heated. Um, so think about your, your house as a place to live. Uh, uh, don't take out more debt than then, you know, is, is prudent, uh, you know, put as much, you know, buy a house that's within your means. If you do have a house, you know, think about, you know, building a, a reserve fund to be able to pay for mortgage payments. If, if one were to lose a job, you know, build in, build in safety buffers here. You know, the worst case scenario is, for example, losing a job and, and not being able to um, carry, carry the mortgage and, and uh, you know, uh, be forced out of one's home. That's, that's the tragedy of, of asset prices like that getting out of whack because it gives folks the, the emboldenment to maybe borrow more than than they they could or should, uh, and and if those values drop, the the mortgage you know technically could, could get underwater owing more on a house. And certainly when it comes to secondary real estate investment real estate, I would say be very cautious. Right, um, prices we think are still very very high, even if they've moderated a, a bit some places. And ultimately, investment returns are almost entirely a function of the price you pay for something. So if you pay a, an inflated price, you're likely to get a very disappointed, probably even negative return, depending on the the, the, the levels you, you buy at. Very well said, John. And um, 
Robert Kiyosaki, who appeared on this program a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, very famously wrote the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which has probably birthed more real estate investors than any single book out there. Um, uh, he very famously says in that book multiple times, um, he, you know, he makes his money in real estate when he buys, not when he sells, right? To your point about, you know, buying at a good price, right? Um, all right. So, uh, Mike, I'm going to let you have the last uh, word here right before I let folks know some uh, free resources uh, that we have for them that I think they're going to find interesting. So uh, I'll just let you wrap this up in any way you like in terms of you know what you think the average investor who's just trying to survive all this, you know, trying to preserve wealth through what's coming um, should be considering right now. I, I think you should just simplify. A lot of this wealth effect, in my opinion, is an illusion. I think that's what the central bank is trying to generate is an illusion, a feeling, an emotion. It's certainly real if you sell a house, turn it into a, you know, or sell a stock. Then it's probably a better example. Sell a stock, which is not a, um, you know, a real thing, not a tangible, and buy gold or farmland or, or, or even real estate, even overvalued. Um, that's a real asset, but a lot of this is kind of a figment to some extent, an illusion of wealth, and a lot of it will contract and evaporate, and it won't all be converted to real things. Uh, I'm just saying that if you have, uh, we talk to people, or I talk to people a lot that say, well, geez, I've got a house, and you know, actually it was worth 500,000 two years ago, and now it's worth 800, I just made 300,000. You know, it's not always set in stone unless you unless you sell that and convert it to something stable. I do believe some of the blow off top and all these asset prices will go pretty quickly. Housing prices went up 20% in, in 2021 in one year. In one you know, year. It's just, it's just so much. And so if, if a price of something goes up 20% in one year and then goes down 20%, you're actually down 4% on that asset. And so if you put 100,000 in, goes to 120,000, you lose 20%, now you got 96,000. You actually lost on the round trip. It felt good for a while. And late stage parabolic blow-offs are given back quickly. Nobody knows the trigger or the timing, but when that happens, all these mortgages will be underwater. You know, thank God they will be mostly locked in at low interest rates because a lot of those mortgages were written last year when rates were still down in the threes or four. So I can't predict a wholesale collapse, but I do believe that it's really kind of wrong that we have a system where central banks control our, our our psychology. You know, there's a lot of illusion to what we're living through here. And I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I would just say, don't get wrapped up in what you think is paper wealth. Simplify your life. Sell assets that you're unsure about. Don't be afraid to hold cash. Dollars are probably going to be fine. We can't somewhat agree with uh, Brent Johnson and his dollar milkshake theory. It makes sense. It's probably going to stay strong for a while. You buy some real stuff like gold and silver and uh, wait for better opportunities. It feels like we've been saying that for years. I guess it's because we have. But this bubble is bigger than anyone's ever seen. So, and um, just be patient. And we're happy to talk to anyone that wants to chat. All right. Thanks, Mike. And that's actually a really good, practical, prudent list. So great to end on. All right. Real quick, folks, those resources I promised you. Um, so first, we are continuing, based on your positive feedback, our new uh, Adams Notes uh, service, where uh, after recording each video, I'm sitting down and, and just detailing out my key takeaways that, you know, because I do these interviews 
you know, five times a week, um, I'm capturing what's sort of distinctively unique about each one as I'm having it. Um, so if you want to get my notes to the Michael Pinto interview that we just had here, uh, just go to Adam, uh, wealthion.com slash Adam's notes, and you can read them there for free. Uh, secondly, I just want to keep folks updated here. Uh, I mentioned last week that we are almost about to release our uh, registration for our upcoming September online conference, Wealthy and Online Conference. We do this uh, twice a year. Um, and uh, the whole focus of this one is, is, you know, 2022 has been a heck of a ride so far. And it looks like it might be getting even bumpier into the, the remainder of the year and into the beginning of 2023. Um, so we put together just a murderer's row of exceptional talent uh, to help you peer into that future. We've got uh, Lacey Hunt, who'll be talking about the Fed. We've got uh, Lynn Alden, who'll be giving her market outlook. We've got uh, award-winning journalist uh, Matt Taibbi. Uh, we're going to have Grant Williams and Stephanie Pomboy. Uh, we're going to have uh, Alf Pecatiello talking about the bond market. We'll have Brent Johnson back talking about what's going to happen with the dollar. Uh, we're going to have Rick Rule talking about hard assets. We're going to have uh, Doomberg uh, talking about energy markets. Uh, we're going to have Mike Maloney talking about precious metals, maybe even a little bit of crypto market update there. And we'll have Jeff Clark talking with us about mining companies. So uh, it's going to be the most topical topics with many of the world's top experts on these issues. So keep your eyes peeled. Uh, we'll be releasing that to the public on uh, uh, this coming Sunday. So uh, you know, make sure you keep your ears peeled. Um, we'll send out an email about it. So if you're not on our email list, uh, make sure you get on there. Just go to wealthion.com. Uh, you can find the email signed up there. Um, and if you are an alumnus, of our previous events, you already should have gotten several emails from us with your link to be able to register right now for the alumni discount price, which is the lowest price that we're going to be able to offer for this uh, conference, but it expires this coming Saturday night at midnight. So make sure you register before then to lock in that lowest price discount. All right, guys, uh, and wrapping up here, um, everything that Michael talked about, um, we even directly addressed it. He said, look, this is an error for active management over passive management. Make sure you get yourself a great financial advisor. Uh, folks, if you've got a great one, send them this video, ask them, hey, how am I well positioned for all the things that Michael and the guys at New Harbor just talked about? And if you don't have a good one, or you'd like a second opinion uh, by a, a good one that understands all these macro issues, maybe even John and Mike and their firm itself, uh, just go schedule a free consultation over at Wealthion.com. We give the instructions uh, right here at the end of this video. They're coming up in about 30 seconds. It only takes you a few seconds to do that. These are completely free. There's no commitment. You don't have to work with anybody. It's just a public service. Um, and last, if you really enjoyed, as I did, having Michael Pento on this program, would like to see him come back in the relatively near future and like to see us continue to get other great talent like him on the program, please support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. John and Mike, guys, thanks so much for making yourself available for another week here. Uh, whatever happens in the markets from here, nobody can guarantee it uh, with 100% with certainty, but whatever happens, we can guarantee that you guys and I will be deconstructing it for folks to help them understand it on this program next week. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Till next week, Adam. Thanks again. Thank you, Adam. We'll see you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. 
These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.